the local church. Father, uh, just a, a church that is committed to truth, committed to um, practicing the one another commandments of Scripture. Lord, uh, we're not a perfect church, but Father, you have done some amazing things here. And Father, I, I pray you continue to grow us, continue to cultivate uh, relationships that are based on the gospel, that are uh, strong, that are edifying, Father God, where we're uh, stimulating one another to love and good deeds so that you are glorified. Help us, Father God, to enjoy you together as we gather for these kinds of occasions. And Father, as we discuss heaven for the next six weeks, I pray it would just enliven our spiritual lives so that we live with passion, so we live with clarity, Lord God, and fervency in the, in the choices we make, Father God, and how we do what we do. Lord, and may you be our motivation. May your promises of forever happiness be our motivation for holy living, Lord God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We ask that you would help us to engage and listen closely with our ears and hearts and then to apply what we've learned by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, all righty. Six weeks on heaven. You know, it was, um, it was Dan DePew who came up to me, uh, I guess it was a, a few months ago, and he said, you know, you did that series on hell last time and defending a literal hell. Why not just bring it around and balance that thing out and do a series on heaven? And so I thought that was a great idea, so we're going to do that. Normally, the uh, elders give me this segment of Sunday school that is dedicated to apologetics, uh, defending the faith. But, so this is kind of apologetics, but it's really just kind of clarifying heaven for us, right? Uh, it kind of says everything in the, in the subtitle here, heaven, replacing what we've heard with what God has revealed, okay? So we're going to be answering questions. We're going to be describing heaven, what it's going to be like, because uh, heaven should motivate us to live holy lives now, okay? So um, I hope that you're looking forward to it. I know I am, and already this week I've been just insanely blessed with the study of heaven, and I hope that uh, you walk away saying the same thing this morning. Now, um, just before we get started, I don't know if everybody knows this or not, but uh, last week Damon finished up uh, the Doctrine of God, right, Damon? And uh, that was his last time to teach adult Sunday school class here at Calvary Bible Church. Uh, so he has been teaching for years, and he's done a great job. Uh, before you leave here today, just um, come up to him. Uh, tell him how grateful you are that you've been blessed by his teaching as he's been dedicating himself to this in our Sunday school series uh, doing systematic theology for uh, for years now. So uh, anyway, I just want to let you know that so you can bless him with encouragement. Um, okay, let's get started here. I want to ask a question just for some introduction and uh, have you guys give me some answers. I'm going to throw up here on, on the dry erase board. Uh, so what are some examples, as we begin, what are some examples of how heaven was described to you as a child? Okay, or how did you perceive heaven back then? Okay, how did you perceive it back then? How, or how was it described to you whenever you were a child? Okay, so let's just, let you list some. Yeah, Ken. Clouds. Yeah, that's right. I get my own personal cloud, and all of a sudden, I can play the harp. I, I couldn't, I wasn't musically inclined at all, but now I can play the harp. Okay, harp's good. What else? Okay, stars equal angels. All right, that's right. Yeah, the kid down the block is an authority on heaven. Okay, all right. Very cool. Uh, what else? I'm sorry, what was that? 
Mansions. Okay, mansions. Okay, that's good. Mansions. Perfect. Like that. That's accurate. That, yes. Everybody. Everybody. Okay, including dogs. All dogs go to heaven. That's right. Very nice. Yeah. Never even seen the movie, but you know. It's true. What else? Wings, okay? We got wings, uh, which uh, is an, comes from another misconception, which is um, we will be angels, right? A lot of people think that we will be angels, okay? Nature, okay? You know, that's an, that's an accurate one, actually. We'll talk about that, uh, nature, because it's going to be a new earth, right? Okay, what else? Yes, back there, Evan. Hey, there, there's another accurate description. Gold roads. Yeah. Pearly gates. Okay. Okay, who's waiting at the gate, by the way? St. Peter. All right. There you go. Yes, he's God's uh, clerical worker. Somewhere up there in the sky. Yeah, it's in the sky somewhere. Okay. Almost as if you can get there. You know, if, yeah, you, you can fly there. It's a little too high for us, but you know, we're working on the technology, right? And we'll get up there eventually. <laughs> Anything else? Banquet tables? Banquet tables, good. Oh, right. that's, yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Does your good outweigh your bad? You can get in, okay, if your good outweighs your bad. Lists, good over bad. The Lamb's Book of Life, that's right. What about, um, <laughs> this is one I, I thought when I was a kid. And no one has to walk, okay? <laughs> Everyone just kind of floats around on this ethereal mist everywhere they go. Yeah. Um, lots of white and gold, hardly any color. You know, just kind of sterile like a hospital up there. Um, you know, perfect, very, very clean. Everything's clean all the time, which, which is nice. You know, right. um, what about, you know, just here, here's one that you may think of or may have thought of when you were younger. All we're going to be doing is singing. That's all we'll be doing. Did you ever think that? I, I've thought that for years, you know, previously. All we're going to be doing is singing. That's it, Okay. And so um, a lot of what we heard growing up about heaven and things that we have believed and uh, whether traditionally or culturally about heaven um, equal heaven is boring, okay? When you think about some of the ways that heaven has been described, it sounds kind of boring if you're honest with yourself, okay? And so, yes. Yeah, well, right. You don't, when, when heaven is described a lot of times, God's not central. Christ isn't central. And as we'll be talking about, that, that, that does not gel with Scripture at all. It's, it's unbiblical. So uh, a lot of des- descriptions of heaven are, are hazy, they're unclear, and they can often be uh, considered boring so that people really, they, they don't want to go there, you know, because it does sound boring, because it's, it's, it's all I'm going to be doing is singing? Really? That's it? So um, in this series, I want us to get a biblical vision of heaven. I want, to get us, I want us to get a vision of heaven that's undistorted by tradition, undistorted by 
uh, cartoons. Right? A lot of people get their understanding of heaven from the far side, right? Gary Larson. Um, culture, right? Uh, culture tends to distort our view of heaven, and, uh, and well-meaning Christians even t- tend to distort our view of heaven, right? Well-meaning Christians who, you know, they, uh, they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants when they were answering our questions about heaven, and they kind of threw something out there, and we kind of rolled with it for the, the next, you know, 10, 15 years, right? And so uh, these are all examples of things that can cloud our view of heaven, make it hazy, unclear. It can, di- can be distorted by these different means. But today uh, I want to discuss uh, our first week, I want to discuss why it's such a danger to be misinformed about heaven and why it is why it is that we can know more about heaven than we ever thought. Okay, So those are the two things I wanted to explore today. I want to uh, look at the fact that it's a danger to be misinformed about heaven and why that's such a dangerous thing, and I want to talk about why we can know more about heaven than we ever thought we could from the scriptures. Okay, so let's get started here. Um, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 11. All right. Okay, so here's the question we need to ask as we're getting started here. This. Why does Hebrews 11 make sense? Why does Hebrews 11 make sense? And to order, in order to answer that question, let's go to verse 14 first. Okay, we'll, we'll kind of answer that question after we look at a few verses in this chapter. So someone read Hebrews eleven fourteen for us. Go ahead, just jump on in there. Go ahead. A country of their own. Okay. Uh, another translation will say they're looking for their homeland. Okay, their homeland. Good. Now, um, somebody read verse sixteen. Matt. So, what are these faithful saints looking forward to in this verse? Better country, a heavenly country. Very good. Okay. Now, uh, let's look at one more verse in this chapter, and that is verse 35. Damon, why don't you read that for us? A better life. Okay, so look at... Look at this with me. Verse 14. Faith, the faithful believers in this chapter were looking forward to their true home. Verse 14. Okay. Verse 16. Beyond this life, they desired a better heavenly country. And verse 35. They believed that their future resurrection would bring them to a better life than any life they could ever have here on earth. Okay. Better than any life they could have here on earth. Okay, so let's answer that question. Why does Hebrews 11 make sense? Put in your own words. You got these faithful saints from the Old Testament, okay? And they are um, sacrificing. They're making intense, life-changing sacrifices. They are suffering. 
And they're suffering gladly. Why? Ken. They were looking forward to heaven. So looking forward to heaven and not receiving that reward here on earth, but in the next life, they could make sacrifices. They could suffer. They could be faithful. So looking forward to heaven affected how they lived in the now, right, in the present. That changed things drastically for them. The promise of the the homeland, the heavenly country, the better life, gave them incentive and motivation for faithful living in the now, okay? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Doesn't this go along perfectly with what Dan is preaching right now on resurrection? I I mean, uh, when I planned on teaching heaven in Sunday school, I had no idea that Dan would be in 1 Corinthians 15. Okay? This is God's providence working things out. I think he wants us to know and be clear on this subject, right? So, yes, they could have hope in their future. God's future grace, it's promised to us, it's a guarantee, and so we can put our hope in Christ for that future. Okay, now, um, if our faithfulness to God, so what we have to kind of wrap it up, this, this uh, point, and say, if our faithfulness to God here is determined by what we believe God has waiting for us in eternity, then it's imperative we see heaven the way the saints in Hebrews 11 saw it as mind-stretchingly wonderful. I'm going to make up words in this class, okay? I just want you to know that. Um, We need to see heaven the way that Hebrews 11 saints saw heaven, mind-stretchingly wonderful, okay? So if our faithfulness to God here, those are the blanks, is determined by what we believe God has waiting for us in eternity, then it's imperative we see heaven the way they saw heaven, okay? Um, We need to view it. And and if we don't see heaven the way they saw it, then our lives are going to be... Seriously affected, right? Our, our lives are going to be indifferent. They're going to be apathetic. They're going to be weak in terms of our Christian living. Okay? Now, next. Yes. Think about this. If you can describe your life as half-hearted, dispassionate, and apathetic, then most likely you are living out of a small, unclear, perhaps unbiblical view of heaven. So what's your Christian life like? Just think to yourself, evaluate how, how devoted you are to Christ. Evaluate um, how passionate you are for the things of God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you just kind of, is life just happening to you? Or are you living life? Are you actively pursuing obedience? Are you chasing after God? If, if you're honest with yourself and, and you can say that, your life can be described like this, half-hearted, dispassionate, apathetic, then you don't see heaven the way you should see heaven. If, if we can't, if we cannot pray, come Lord Jesus, honestly and sincerely, then we probably have a very small view of heaven. Because if we're honest with ourselves, I think I, at times it's hard for me to pray that prayer. Is it hard for you to pray that prayer sometimes? Come Lord Jesus? Because we think, oh, but I want the next thing in my life, you know? I want the marriage. I want the kids, right? And, and I want to see the kids graduate and get married and then have grandkids. I want the next thing, God. So it's hard for us to pray, come Lord Jesus. And if it's hard for us to pray, come Lord Jesus, we probably don't see heaven as, is as glorious as it is in the scriptures. 
So I, I, wanna, I want us to see heaven so that we can easily pray and often pray. Come, Lord Jesus, now. I want that now. I don't want to wait any longer. I want it. Give it to me, please. Okay. How are we going to live for eternity now if we're indifferent or reluctant about going there, getting there, getting to heaven? How are we going to do that? How are we going to live for it now if, if we don't want to go there? Right? If we're just kind of like, yeah, I mean, I guess it'll be okay, you know? Yeah, I mean, I like to sing, you know? I'm not walking, that's cool, you know? But we need a biblical perspective in order to get excited about heaven. I'm going to read you um, one of the books that I'm using and studying is this Heaven, Randy Alcorn. I don't know if you've read this book or not. Um, I haven't read it all yet, but what I have read is wonderful. And so I just want to read a, a section of the first chapter to you. Okay, he's talking about, um, the question of the chapter is, are you looking forward to heaven? And so this is what he says. He's, uh, he talks about the adventures of Huck Finn, Huckleberry Finn. And the adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Mark Twain portrays a similar view of heaven. This Christian spinster, Miss Watson, takes a dim view of heaven. I'm sorry, uh, a dim view of Huck's fun-loving spirit. Sorry. According to Huck, she went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was go around all day uh, with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there. And she said, not by a considerable sight. <laughs> I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. Right? And so this is what uh, this is Randy Alcorn's evaluation of this. He says, the, the pious Miss Watson had nothing to say about heaven that appealed to Huck. And nothing, if we're honest, that appeals to us. What would have attracted him was a place where he could do meaningful and pleasurable things with enjoyable people. In fact, that's a more accurate depiction of what heaven will be like. If Miss Watson had told Huck what the Bible says about living in a resurrected body and being with people we love on a resurrected earth with gardens and rivers and mountains and un untold adventures, now that would have gotten his attention. Right? Uh, and so, in contrast to that perspective, here's what Spurgeon says. To come to thee is to come home from exile. To come to to land out of the raging storm, to come to rest after long labor, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. Isn't that great? That's what heaven should create in our hearts if we see it biblically. Okay. Let's move on to number two here, just as we're evaluating some of the dangers about being unclear about heaven or not wanting to go there, and then uh, why we can know more than we think. How we view heaven is directly linked to how we view God. We, we got into this uh, last time with, um, with hell. We were talking about how doctrines um, are not islands, okay? Uh, it's probably me meaning something, than John, meaning something different than John Dunn, but uh, in that sense, what do you think I mean? Doctrines are not islands. Yes. Yes, that's right. They're, they're interconnected, okay? You can't put one doctrine out here by itself and, and have it isolated from all the other doctrines of the Christian faith, right? 
Look at this. Just turn to Revelation 21 with me. Look at this. Revelation 21, 3, and then 22 and 23. Phil, why don't you read those three verses, 21, 3, and then 22 and 23. Oh, sorry. My bad. That's what, that's what, well, I can't just pick on people, can I? Um, all right. Wendy, can you read that for us, please? So, why is there no temple, or why is there no lamp in heaven? Yeah, because God is there, right? Uh, the temple uh, in the Old Testament, what did it represent? My class, what did it represent? God's presence among his people. Very good. Okay, so uh, God is in his full presence with his people in heaven. There's no need for the temple there. God is there. God is the temple, right? And uh, the glory of God will shine and illumine heaven. There will be no need for electricity, okay? His glory will shine to the nooks and crannies of heaven, right? And in verse 3, we see that the dwelling place of God will be with man, okay? So we cannot take the doctrine of heaven and isolate it over here, or the doctrine of God and isolate it over here. They're, they're inextricably linked, God is what makes heaven awesome and glorious. There is no heaven without God. Okay? Uh, our culture has tried to make heaven just you know, uh, exist without God. Right? Like it's, just a, it's, a, it's a place we go you know, after we're done here. All the pain and suffering, it appeals to people. I can get there. I have that to look forward to. But God is central. There is no heaven without God. Okay? So how we view heaven is directly linked to how we view God. Like I said, no doctrine can stand alone. Each doctrine both affects other doctrines and is affected by other doctrines. So, we have to ask ourselves this question. If we see heaven as boring, can we really say we don't find God boring? If we see heaven as boring, can we really say we don't find God boring? Because he will be there in his fullness. And... Here's, here's what First uh, Timothy 1.11 says. Does anybody know? First Timothy 1.11, we know how that describes God. It's, uh, it calls him, Paul calls him the blessed God. What does blessed mean, essentially? Happy, doesn't it? First Timothy 1.11, the blessed God, the happy God. I mean, God is a happy God. I, maybe that's not something you've thought of much. <laughs> That, that God is uh, happy. Maybe you think he's kind of this, you know, austere figure in the cosmic realm, right, that's always furrowing his brow and seeking to thwart our ways and make us squirm. Not so with God. He is a happy God. He delights in his people, and he wants his people to enjoy him forever. And we can enjoy him now, but we're still hindered by sin, right? 
we still have the, the old nature. We still have the, uh, that wretched man inside of us. And so we can't enjoy him through and through, fully. But one day we will, in his presence, that happy God, that, uh, that perfectly happy God will be in our presence. We will be in his presence fully and completely. Concentrated, pure joy. We see heaven is boring. Can we really say we don't find God boring? Okay, let's keep going here. So are you beginning to see the danger of having a distorted or unclear view of heaven or not wanting to go there? Whether we realize it or not, what our hearts desire is exactly what God has planned. What does that mean? What am I getting at there? Whether we realize it or not, what our hearts desire is exactly what God has planned. Any ideas? about what that means? What am I getting at there? Who made us? God. Okay, um, so he not, not only did he make our bodies, right, but he made our souls. He made our hearts, right? How did he make them? With, with what desire? Yes, Alex. Social beings? Absolutely. He made us social beings. We desire communion, okay, with God first and with other people on a secondary level, right? So um, it's really, you could say, yeah, well, God made me a communal being. I, I enjoy relationships, so I'll just seek relationship in people. But will that satisfy your heart? Just relationship with people? Why? Our ultimate purpose is to bring God glory. God made us that way. He made us with that uh, purpose for our existence, right? He made us with hearts that will not rest until they are found in him, right? And so he made us for himself. Therefore, um, whether we realize it or not, whether you, um, you're a Christian or unchristian, you know that there's nothing here ultimately that's really satisfying you. You keep having to go back to things over and over to get more, more from those things, right? And then those things run out of thing, happiness, so to speak, right? Whether it be your hobbies, whether it be um, the people in your lives. You keep going back to them thinking that they're going to satisfy you, but they never do, do they? You think, oh, it's, it's, it's not, that's not what I was looking for. Okay, I'll try something else. That wasn't what I was looking for. Uh, I'm, I'll get my hopes up, and I'll anticipate this next big event in my life. Well, that wasn't what I really, really want. Whether people realize it or not, God made them for himself, and we will not find rest and satisfaction until we find it in him. So, Ecclesiastes 3.11, okay? Just flip over there. It's a great verse. It helps us out. We're talking about eternity in heaven. Who would like to read that? John, you there, man? Thanks for your honesty. Whenever you get there, read it, please. He's put eternity into our hearts. 
eternity into our hearts. God has made it so that nothing in this temporal fallen world can satisfy our heart's desire. We know that this is not all there is. All right, what, what is that famous quote by C.S. Lewis? I know someone knows it in here. I forgot it. Uh, about um, our desires, and if we find that there's nothing here that can satisfy us, then what? Who can, who can think of it? We were made for another place, right? If we find that nothing here in this world can satisfy us, then logically we must come to the conclusion that we are made for another place. We are made for heaven, right? Okay, now turn your Bibles to uh, Psalm 1611. Chris, you want to read that for us, buddy? Where's fullness of joy? His presence. Pleasures forevermore at his right hand. Right? Pleasures forevermore and, and that pure satisfaction, that fullness of joy. They don't exist outside of God. Right? So... God made us to be satisfied in Him, in Him alone. Therefore, a place wherein we will enjoy Him without distraction and hindrance is worthy of our eager anticipation, right? In His presence, at His right hand. That's where fullness of joy is. That's where we need to be seeking and living for, right? So, we can, we can chase after, we can, we can waste our lives chasing after things we think will satisfy us here on earth. But God's already told you where you're going to find your satisfaction. He's already told you, it, you know what, you, you can, your search for satisfaction is over when you find in me your salvation. But you'll, you won't be able to experience that joy and its absolute fullness until the next life in heaven. So live for heaven now, right? You, you, can, you can go somewhere else, look for, for joy elsewhere, but God has already told you where you're going to find it. Waste your life. Okay. Now, so we're, we're, kind, we're dealing with, in these first three points, we're dealing with um, why it's dangerous to have misconceptions about heaven. Let's look at uh, this question. Is heaven beyond our imagination? Okay. Because this is important, isn't it? Because I, I, I'm telling you, heaven, a, a view of heaven, a biblical view of heaven, is going to determine how you live today. Right? So if heaven is beyond our imagination, then there's some serious problems because if we can't envision it, we can't look forward to it. Right? If we can't envision heaven, we can't look forward to it. And, and that's what Alcorn says, but if we go on with that thought, then we think, and if we can't look forward to it, then we can't live motivated by it. And thus we miss out on the blessing that comes with holy living and joyful sacrifice. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. Yes. That's like next in my notes. <laughs> you jumped ahead of me, but you're exactly right. Absolutely. We're going to deal with some texts that people use often to talk, talk about heaven being beyond our imagination. 
Yeah, it's not. It's not. We can picture what it's going to be like. Can we know everything? Can we know, know fully what's going to go on there completely? No. But we can imagine it. We can. So uh, we need to envision heaven if we're going to look forward to it, and we need to look forward to it if we are going to live in light of it and be motivated by it so that we experience the joy of holy living for Christ today. Okay? But that's, you're exactly right. Absolutely. Um, Here's, here's a, another quote from Alcorn in his book. Ah, this is good. As long as the resurrected universe remains either undesirable or unimaginable, Satan succeeds in sabotaging our love for heaven. Right? Um, in, in, his book, uh, in his book, he talks about how there's not a whole lot written on heaven. You'd think there'd be more. Right? I mean, biblical stuff that's written on heaven. There's not a whole lot that's out there. He's been collecting books on heaven for, for years, he says. And so there's, there's, not, there's a lot of fluffy stuff that's out there, you know, the stuff that really doesn't um, mirror the scriptures at all. But in terms of real, solid, evangelical stuff written on heaven, not a whole lot out there. And that's sad because we need to be motivated by that. Uh, we need heaven, a clearer picture of heaven, to live faithfully today. Okay. Um, Let's move on. Here, let's look at some of these texts. Now, this is uh, this next text we're going to look at is just what I'm sorry. Tell me your name again, sir. Mark. Just what Mark brought up, and that's First uh, Corinthians two nine. Go ahead and turn there. So that, that text is often used to say, you know, um, you're going to write a book on heaven? You're going to talk about heaven? What are you going to talk about? Right? What are you going to talk about? Because uh, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. So obviously you can't really talk about a whole lot if you're going to have a sermon series on heaven. Right? If you're going to describe that or write a blog on that, what are you going to say? Right? Um, but here, for, first thing, I, I was doing a little research on this. And if you go up into the context, uh, this may... Um, this verse may not even be referring to heaven. It may just be referring to the wisdom that God gives believers in the gospel because he says, um, yet among, verse 6, I'm sorry, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden, hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So it may not even include heaven, but I'm just saying that's a possibility but if it does include heaven, okay, if, if verse 9 is talking about heaven, these, uh, what God has prepared for those who love him, then verse 10 uh, really dispels anybody who can say, yeah, we can't know anything about heaven. Because it says these things God has revealed to us, Christians, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Okay? So here. 1 Corinthians 2.9, this verse may just be referring to wisdom of God given to believers through Jesus, but even if it does include heaven, verse 10 tells us that God reveals those unimagined things to us through the Spirit. That is the Word of God, right? Spirit working through the Word of God. He has revealed in the Scriptures what heaven is like. He's told us. There's a lot more written on heaven than we think in the, in the Word of God. So we can't use 1 Corinthians 2.9 for people who say it's beyond our imagination. We can't know anything about it. Well, God has revealed to us what it's like. 
Okay, now turn to 2 Corinthians 12. Second Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4. Second Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4. Someone uh, read this text for us, please. Rick, read that? No? Okay. Who will read? Yes, thank you. So, um, who's Paul talking about? He's probably talking about himself. You know, he's, he's not talking in, uh, in first person, but he's probably referring to himself. If you look at the rest of the context there. And so, what does verse 4 tell us? Uh, he, was, he was taken up in this, in this vision, in this dream to heaven, and he, saw, he heard things, things that cannot be uttered, right? And so, people say, well, you know, look, Paul was taken up to heaven in this, in this vision, Okay, and, and he could not utter the things that he heard. So we can't know anything about heaven. You know, he came back down, he couldn't talk about those things. But here, here's something we have to remember. This text only says that Paul heard things during his visit to heaven that could not be spoken of. But in the book of Revelation, John was commanded to write down what he saw of heaven and send it in a letter to seven churches. He's saying, Jesus said, yeah, write this down and then send it to churches to tell them about what you have seen, okay, and what you have heard. Be, uh, describe this to them. So, yeah, this is an example of Paul coming back down. He couldn't utter those things, but we have other examples, okay? Uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah, too, of guys who got a vision of heaven and they describe it for us in the Word of God. Okay, so you can't use that to say heaven is beyond our imagination. What about Isaiah 55, 9? Let's turn there. We know this text. <clears throat> okay. So, um, how would you answer this verse? This verse is used to talk about us not being able to uh, grasp heaven, to, to understand it, or to imagine it. So how would you answer this? Someone used this to say, well, yeah, we can't know heaven. We can't know what it's like. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Good. I like that. Yeah, that's helpful, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. I can think of a lot of good stuff, and, and then I just say, well, it's going to be better than that. I can't imagine how much better, but it's going to be better. I know. Yes. Yes, it, because he is central to heaven, and his life is was lived perfectly. You do you get a glimpse? Mm. So, because we get a picture, uh, a clear picture of Jesus here on earth, we can have a better understanding of what heaven will be like. Good, I like that. 
else would you answer? Yes, yes, ma'am. That's good. Yes. Did you hear? She said, uh, we cannot know exhaustively about heaven, but we can know truly about heaven. That's very good. Absolutely. Um, we, we cannot know everything about heaven, but it doesn't mean we can't know anything about heaven, right? We can't know um, everything, but it doesn't mean we can't know anything about heaven, all right? And so uh, here's something you also have to consider. Yes, it's true that God's thoughts are vastly higher than ours, but let's not forget that God has chosen to simplify them for us, right? I mean, we have the word of God. We can say, um, this is really how the emergent church got started. They said, you know, um, we can't really know what the Bible's saying. God's, God's thoughts and his ways are far above ours. We can't really know what God is saying. And so in order for them to, to kind of engage in doing what they wanted to do and getting away with certain things, they said, well, we, we don't really know what that means, though. I mean, God is, and it sounds very humble, right? God is so far above us. But God has taken his truth he's taken himself and he's put him into a book form so we can read about him know his promises uh, know who jesus is right and trust him you can't understand uh you, you can't trust the gospel if you don't understand it right you can't trust the gospel you can't believe in the gospel if you don't understand it so god has put himself in a form that we can understand he has. And so he simplified these, uh, these thoughts of his and put them in word form so we can study them and we can understand them. Okay? And that includes descriptions of heaven. Okay? So is heaven beyond our imagination? No. No, it's not. Now, um, let's look at another text here. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Brian, will you read that for us, buddy? Verse 2. Good. So he, he says, um, set your mind on what? Things above. It, is, and people say, well, th- set your mind on Christ. Yes, set your mind on Christ, but things above. So we're, we're commanded not just to think about Jesus, but also the place in which we will get to enjoy Jesus. Okay? Set your mind on things above. So you should think on heaven. You can think on heaven. And if you can, then as we are commanded to do so, we should. All right? Um, and I love this, this term that Alcorn uses. He says, use scripture-enhanced imaginations to set your minds on things above. Okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's do a little exercise here. Um, we know that eventually heaven is going to be a new heavens and a new earth, right? So if we know that description from the word of God, what we can do then is we can look around us. We can look at this world. Is this world beautiful? It is beautiful. What are some beautiful things you've seen in this world? Mountains are beautiful. Oh, yes. What else? The beach. Yeah, that's right. What else? 
Wildflowers. There you go. Yes. Paris. <laughs> Very good. Evan. Sunsets. Yes. I've seen some beautiful sunsets. Your own children. There you go. Good. What else? What else? Some beautiful things. Some breathtaking things you've seen in this world. Hummingbirds. Yeah, yeah. When you see one of those up close, it is beautiful. Right now in my front yard, we've got our uh, Bradford pear tree. And it's at the end of February. It's <laughs> and already we've got these white blossoms. It's full of these white blossoms. I love every spring when the, the Bradford pear tree starts to bloom. We, we, every time I drive into the driveway, I just smile and think of God's creativity, right? And so we, we've described some things. We've, we've listed some things that in this world are magnificent and beauty. And this is a broken world. This is, this, this is a, a world that's scarred by sin. But yet, God made it. And we can use our imaginations to think, new heavens, new earth, if that is beautiful, if, if my breath is taken away at a sunset or the Grand Canyon, how much more beautiful and enjoyable will heaven be? We can, this week, spend some time doing that. Just look at the beautiful things around us as spring is coming and think, even more beautiful than that will be the new earth that I get to be a part of because of God's great love through Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, any comments before we close up today? Yes, Russ. Yeah, because you follow after your heart. What your heart desires, that's what you're going to chase after, right? And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? Very good. Okay, excellent. Anybody else? All right, good. Damon, will you close us in prayer?